0: We want to use our time, our study time this morning, to look at some things we find in the book of Genesis. I think these things are, and I believe these things are exceedingly important. And as we think about the beginning, which is what the word Genesis means, we've got to get the beginning right for us to understand where we're going and to get the end right. If we don't get the beginning right, then everything else gets messed up. And as we look at our world today, I think we can see exactly what's going on. People, as a general rule, have rejected the Creator and His creation, His account of creation, and they worship the creature themselves in this case, and it's got our whole world messed up. And we need to be able to go back to the beginning and get the beginning right so that we can get our lives right and keep our lives right today. We understand that the Bible says in Genesis one and verse one that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now I wanted or I thought about reading the whole book or whole chapter of, of Genesis one. I chose not to do that. I'm going to assume that most, if not all of us, are familiar with the account of creation. If you're not familiar with it, I want you to make it a priority to go read the first few chapters of the book of Genesis today. Because it is important and it matters In Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, it's commonly believed that Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis. And here in Acts 7 and verse 22, the Bible says this, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses had the best education that was available in his day. Trust me. He got it. He, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, the king, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and he had the best education there, there was. And it says he was mighty in words and in deeds. But you know what? There was something better than education when it came to the writing of the book of Genesis and of all of the Bible, and it was inspiration. Moses had inspiration. And that's what led him to write this account of our creation we find here in the book of Genesis. So what we believe about the creation, about our creation, and what we believe about the creation account here in the first few chapters of Genesis, I believe shapes the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, the way we view the world, the way we view our purpose, it affects everything about us. So that's why it's important that from time to time we think about what we learn from the book of Genesis. So we mentioned the fact that the word Genesis means the beginning, and so what I want to do is I want us to think about the things that God created here in Genesis chapter 1. The first thing I want us to consider is that God created time. Time didn't exist before this. God's eternal. There was no time till God created it. And as we consider this account in Genesis chapter 1, He created time, and what that means is that He created days and weeks and years and seasons. All of those things did not exist till God created those things. You know, as we read that account there, as it goes through the six days of the creation, it says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. We don't have to wonder what a day was in creation. He tells us what it was. Because He created a day. And it was an evening and a morning. It was a day and a night. It was a 24-hour period, folks. And we know that because the Creator has revealed it to us. In verse 5 of Genesis 1, And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And we have days and nights all through history. God started that. He created that. And it defines our existence in so many ways a day and a night, a 24-hour period, and how quickly they go. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 2, when He was through with the six days of creation, the Bible says, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. He created a week. And all over the world... Everybody recognizes that a week is seven days. Whether they believe in God or not, and whether they believe in the creation account, as far as I know, there may be some culture somewhere that has some different number of days, but God created a week, and He created it, and He revealed it to us here in Genesis. In verse 14, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. And we know God can manipulate these things and do different things with time, because He exists outside of time. But for you and I, our existence is defined by time. It's all we know. And God created it. And He made it what it is. Next, He created space. And what I believe the Bible is referencing with the idea of space there is that He created matter. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the water. In the air, the atmosphere, He created matter. He created space. He created where we exist. The earth was without form. It was void. It wasn't there. And then God spoke, and it was there, and it's still here. And we exist, and we live on His creation, space. Heaven and earth. In Acts chapter 17, I believe this is the Apostle Paul preaching here to pagans, idolaters. And he makes this extraordinary point, I believe. When we consider his audience... He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. They were idolaters. They were worshiping the creature, not the Creator. So Paul starts talking to them about the Creator. And he says, He doesn't exist in buildings, in temples, in anything made with hands. That's not where God exists. Then he says this, "...neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything." He don't need us. "...seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth." That's us. God made us, and He made us to dwell on the face of the earth, and He made our dwelling place. And He maintains our dwelling place in a way that we can exist and continue to live. And He hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after Him and find Him though He be not far from every one of us. So I made the point earlier that God exists outside of time. God also exists outside of space. He's everywhere. He's not far from every one of us on the face of the earth. And we want to look at God, and we want to try to fit God into this idea that we have about He he has to be a certain place. Because we say all the time, don't we? I, I can't be at more than one place at once. And we can't. But God can. He's not far from every one of us. He exists outside the limitations and the restrictions of space. He created both time and space. And that reveals to us, that explains to us, the fact that God exists without those limitations. And folks, that's exceedingly important. Because people in our world want to define God within the limitations of time and space. And they want to make fun of those that believe God exists outside of those things. And what happens, what has happened in our world is that arrogant men have taken science and tried to prove that God doesn't exist when God created science. God exists outside of their science, He's not limited by time and space. And we make a mistake when we try to put those limitations on God. God created time and space, and He established order. And all of the things that our scientists are able to look at today, God created those things. We shouldn't worship at the altar of science, or anything else, we should worship the Creator. Because He was before the creation, and He is. He said, I am. That's God. I am. Isaiah 40 and verse 28, "...Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength." And so what I believe the prophet Isaiah is talking about here is this idea that we referenced earlier, the fact that men want to put God within the limitations of time and space and define Him in the context of what we know. And He exists outside of all of those things. And He's not limited by the same things that you and I are. That's God. So when Jesus says here in John chapter 4 that we should worship God in spirit and in truth because He's a spirit? If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, it helps us understand what He's talking about. He's a spirit. He's not limited by time and space. And that's why we should worship Him. Isaiah 45 and verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. So, in contrast to the common prevailing attitude that this earth and everything in it just happened. The idea that Genesis and all of Scripture conveys to us is that it was created and that it was created with purpose for a reason. He didn't just throw all this out there and say, Y'all fend for yourselves and say, oh, Good luck. He did it with purpose. He says the prophet does. It wasn't done in vain. And he created it so that we could live. As we think about that and we think about the creation and the the process that is revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1, think about the things that are necessary for life. For you and I, and for really all of creation to have life, we have to have water. We have to have oxygen. We have to have food. So think about the order of creation. God created water. He created the atmosphere. He created the earth that grows our food. He created all of the things that are necessary for life. And then He created life. In verse 7 of chapter 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I'm going to tell a joke. because I found it quite amusing, and it makes an important point. The scientist was given the opportunity to go before God and challenge God, and the scientist said, I can create the same thing you did. And God said, well, the crowning part of my creation was man, so why don't we just start there? You, you, you create man. so the scientist reaches down and gets him a handful of dirt, and God says, wait a minute, you've got to get your own dirt. <laughs> and that's exactly right. God created the earth and all of the things necessary for life, and then he created man, and he gave man a living soul. And that, folks, is what made man his crowning achievement. He gave us a soul. So he not just gave us, didn't just give us life, and he didn't just create all this life on the earth. For no purpose. He did it with purpose. And that gives you and I purpose. We didn't just happen to be here. Our goal in life shouldn't be to just fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our goal should be to go back to Genesis and understand that God created us for a reason and fulfill that reason. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Okay, so there's a distinction here that I want us to remember. He didn't bring all the animals in and tell them this. This is what He told Adam and Eve. And the reason He told Adam and Eve and not the animals is because that Adam and Eve had a soul. And what that soul did for them is it gave them the ability to make choices. And so when God gives them a commandment here, they had the ability to choose to obey or the ability to choose to disobey. What was their purpose? Why did God create them? Why has God created all of us and given us a living soul? For the same purpose that we might choose to do the right thing. And when we do that, we fulfill our purpose. We glorify God. All of creation testifies to the glory of God. But when we make the right choice, that's the kind of glory that stands out. And that should be our purpose, to glorify God through the choices that we make. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, the apostle says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world... That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do we see God's purpose? This was His purpose for us. Before the foundation of the world, He had a vision, He had a goal, He knew what He was doing. And He gave us the ability to choose. So choose you this day whom you will serve. That's our purpose. Remember Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. It's not that complicated and it's not about me, and our, we so easily lose sight of what God made us for, and we get focused on me, and what I want, and what I think, and on and on and on, when we were put here for the purpose of glorifying God. 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. It's not about what you and I think. It's about what God has defined as good works. And do we want to be meet for the Master's use? Do we we want to be useful to God? That's what the question is. We can be, if if we'll remember our purpose and the reason we were given life. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our purpose is to make good choices to glorify God. That's our purpose. And we either have the ability to choose that or reject it. There was another purpose that God gave them, and it was the idea of physical work, He gave them a job. You know, and we usually are, I don't know, I didn't think about this till I was looking at it this time, but here in, in Genesis 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now we usually, when we talk about work, we go to the curse. And we think about what God said to the man about weeds and about having to work by the sw- and all of that stuff, Right? But they had a job to do before the sin, before the fall. They had purpose. They had a job to do. They had work to do. To keep and dress the garden. We think about the garden, well there was no weeds there. It was watered from a mist. They didn't have to irrigate it. What did they have to do to work it? I believe the King James says, dress it and keep it. There's work for you and I to do. And it's important and it's valuable. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So. Second Thessalonians 3 and 10. 1 Timothy 5 and 8, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. And I, I know and I believe that this verse is talking about providing spiritually, physically, and in all ways. I, I understand that. But that's our purpose, our goal. Our life is not meaningless. I don't care who you are. Your life has meaning and value because God gave it to you. We also find in Genesis, the first few chapters, the beginning of family. Beginning of marriage and family. In verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God created life. He created man. He created man and woman in His image. I come across this idea when I was looking at stuff that those that believe we came from an ape and that want to fit that idea within the context of the creation in Genesis chapter 1 have to believe that God looks like an ape. We were created in His image man and woman. We were created and we are body, soul, and spirit as God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And God gave us marriage and family to bless us. And again, He did that with purpose. He didn't just throw us out out there and say, y'all pervert that idea any old way you want to. Whatever makes you happy. That's not what He did. He created marriage and family with purpose and for a reason. And... Verse 24 of chapter 2, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Do you all understand how important that idea is? Do we? You know, Jesus quoted this, I believe it was in Matthew chapter 19. He was talking about marriage, and it was a Pretty nearly an exact quote of Genesis two twenty four. Somewhere in Ephesians, maybe chapter four or six, Paul, the apostle Paul, is talking about marriage. Just nearly an exact quote of Genesis two and verse twenty four. That's important. And the reason that's important is because marriage is important. And we live in a throwaway world. And if we're not careful, our, marriage, our attitude towards marriage is exactly the same. Well, if it ain't working, I'm going to throw it away and get me another one. I saw a couple quoted that had been married 60-something years, and somebody said, how, how did you do that? And they said, we grew up in a time where when something was broke, you fixed it. You fixed it. You cleaved. I understand the challenges, folks. And I know we have lots of those when it comes to marriage. But God created it. He defined it and he'll fix it if we'll let him if we'll let him Ephesians five and verse thirty three Nevertheless let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I don't know what else to say about that, folks. It's right there. You want to fix your marriage? You want to make your marriage better? Husbands, love your wives as you do yourself. Wives, reverence Him. I didn't say it. Paul, by the inspiration of God, said it. And that's the exact same idea that's expressed in Genesis 2 and verse 24. You leave your parents and you cleave to your spouse, and marriage will bless you. It blesses us. It blesses our nation. It blesses our church. It blesses everybody when it's done God's way. Ephesians 6, verse 1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Neither of my parents are currently alive. So, what's my responsibility here? I honor their memory. But I believe He's talking here to children that are in the home. We've already noticed that when it's time to get married, you're to leave father and mother and cleave. That doesn't mean you dishonor your father and mother. But I believe this is to children that are still living at home. God gave us a family to bless us. And parents bless us as children bless us. But when we refuse to do it God's way, those blessings become huge challenges. So children, obey your parents and honor your parents. That was God's plan. That was God's design. And we need to follow that. I want to say one other thing to parents. Sometimes we get so focused on raising our children to be successful and independent. That we forget to teach them the important things of family and God, and those things can coexist. I understand that. I was nineteen when I Karen and I got married. She's older. (laughs) She married a child. My mother, when she told her dad that I was getting married, he said, he's not old enough to get married. She said, he's the same age you were. <laughs> she, did, she thought I was too young too, but she did defend me when, with her dad. Here's my point. Yeah, I, I guess we can get married too young. But we can wait too long too. Don't discourage your children from finding a godly mate and getting married. And I, I don't. I'm, what I mean by that is, don't let education get in the way. Don't let the idea that they're not old enough get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way of finding a godly mate and getting married we do our children a great disservice if we fail to accomplish that. And sometimes they make the wrong choice anyway, but we've got to do the best we can as parents. And if we lose sight of the goal, and we lose sight of what God created marriage and family for, then we're compounding our problems. Unfortunately, we find in the book of Genesis the beginning of sin and death. Chapter 2, verse 17, God says to them, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Went the wrong way. Romans 5 and verse 12, The apostle observes, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So when we get all bogged down in life and start trying to figure out why in the world all this bad stuff is happening to me, we've got to be able to go back the book of Genesis to understand that and remember what the apostle says death came because of sin for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death Romans 8 and verse 2 The law of sin and death is the law that God established in Genesis. If you sin, you die. But thankfully, we have the roots of redemption. The beginning of redemption in the book of Genesis also. Chapter 3, verse 15, as Jesus Not Jesus. As God placed His curse upon the serpent for what He had done in the role there in the garden, He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first prophecy of Jesus. That's what God's talking about here. And so, yes, as soon as sin entered and death by sin, God had a plan. He had purpose. He had a reason for what He was doing. In chapter 12 and verse 3, as He talked to Abraham, Abram, It says, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. He's talking about Jesus. He had a plan. He had a purpose. And we can go throughout Scripture, and we can see God's purpose being filled, fulfilled. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, "...forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world." It was in God's mind from the beginning. He was going to redeem us. Yes, there is that law of sin and death. But we have a Redeemer. And we have His blood to take that sin away and to cover that sin. And thank God for that. So 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle says this, So as is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Jesus makes us alive again for eternity. And all of these things have their beginning in the book of Genesis. So let's remember what John says in 1 John 2 and verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. That concludes our thoughts of the morning. Never want to close without offering offering the Lord's invitation. If you're here and you want to obey the Gospel in baptism, or if you're here and you need the prayers of the church for some spiritual need in your life, please come, have a seat on the front pew here while we stand and sing.